Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Market access consists of various and different kind of stakeholders, insights and obviously as well views as well as evidences. What does that at the end of the day mean? Ultimately, if you maybe you can start a bit even before, maybe take the terminology instead of market access, maybe take health economics, that's maybe as well where everybody can quite easily see how that kind of whole environment consists because it basically adds up the information from the health area, meaning the clinical, the clinical evidence, and the economics, which then more the cost and reimbursement slash pricing side. What does that at the end of the day mean for a proper market access planning, but also then later on in terms of implementation? If we maybe start with the end in mind, as a lot of marketing gurus as well basically say, that basically means how could we achieve the optimized price for a company? Or if we maybe take the other side of the coin, how could we take an optimized and achieve an optimized price, for example, from a healthcare payers perspective? It's the same kind of idea at the end. So what is it what might drive the price? The price is primarily obviously being driven by um, the evidence, which can show a um, and add a benefit, a benefit against the current standard of care, which could be an active therapy, but could also be, let's call it, best supportive care. At the end of the day, it's still been driven, and you see that here already, by the statistics behind, meaning what has been measured in a clinical trial, um, with how many kind of patients in the clinical trial, so the sample size, what is the significance, so is it rather um, driven, the results driven by chance finding or by good luck or is it really something that's a fundamental and that is already as well what you can see when you come up with the implementation which is then the basis for the price negotiation reimbursement decisions later on how that could and should as well impact the decision making so ultimately um, if we then have that in mind, what we want to achieve, independent of which stakeholder you are, you would need to have a proper planning in terms of clinical trials. But what, what does a clinical trial really mean besides obviously implementing, meaning finding the right kind of sites across the world maybe or in one country um, and maybe a couple of further implementation parts, how to bring, for example, the kind of product then to the centers and hence to the patients. Ultimately, core cool question is the sample size planning, because sample size planning might then as well be one of the core drivers for the potential expected clinical benefit. But how do you want to measure that? And also, what do you want to measure? So that's as well a core kind of question to consider. And that is also where you can probably get already feeling why statistics is very important, why at least some of the statistical measures such as relative risk or hazard ratio or the p-value in terms of significance and the confidence intervals should at least um, kindly be 
understood also by market access reimbursement managers. For that discussion, I have invited Alexander Schacht, who has a long experience in statistics in the, on the consultancy side, but especially also on the pharmaceutical side. So has had also discussion with various payers across the world, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Welcome, Alexander Schacht, uh, one of the core statisticians I at least know um, in the world of the pharmaceuticals and probably even um, broader. Um, Alex, maybe you could quickly introduce for those who do not know, or maybe are a bit shy when it comes to numbers, statistics, mathematics, why also market access managers would need to understand statistics when they think about health technology assessment. Well, thanks so much. Uh, the The importance of statistics comes through in many, many different aspects. Let's think about the uh, evidence that is needed across uh, across the board. Yeah, it's all based on numbers. Yeah, and so of course there's a you know the health economics part, but there's also a lot of parts where it's about understanding the impact of the disease understanding the prevalence of the disease, understanding the medical benefits, the side effects. And that's where statistics comes into play, because um, you want to understand how robust is the evidence, how big is the evidence, what are the strengths and limitations of the evidence. And of course, nowadays, it's not just about, you know, clinical trials. It's about indirect comparisons, network meta-analysis, It's about uh, real-world evidence and lots of different sources and even combinations of these. Yeah, If you put uh, real-world evidence together with clinical trials. And so um, understanding there how robust it is, is really important. And as you know, if you have sitting in one of these GBA hearings in, in Berlin, you can spend quite an a lot of time just talking about the methodological aspects and is that a valid analysis what are the strengths what are the limitations and uh, i don't want to go down the route of you know pre-specification and all these kind of things but it's an immense part of the uh, of the process yeah no, and also yeah, if you think about the health economics part yeah it often is based on the clinical statistics part. Yeah? Uh, network meta-analysis are nowadays kind of the standard tools that provide in, you know, in terms of the effectiveness analysis. Mm -hmm. The utilities that you use are derived from statistics, from clinical trials and other sources. And I'm not a you know, economics expert, but in the end, you, know, you have lots of different statistics coming out of that as well. So understanding these kind of things is really important uh, from a market access manager. And of course, statistics also has its own language. Mm. Yeah. And having a little bit of insight into this is really helpful. Of course, on the other hand, you want to work with a statistician that also can speak in plain, you know, English or German or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally right. I can only, uh, let's say, uh, support that. I think it's it's probably really important. I mean, also when you say health economics, right? What I normally tell students, especially or juniors, right? The the let's say the terminology is built of two words, right? The first mm -hmm. is health. That's basically what you said as well at the beginning, at the beginning, right? Which is the evidence, 
what is the basis for our analysis? And then you just add the economics, which are the cost components, and maybe a couple of other things as well, right? For sure, for sure. Um, and by the way, economics is just statistics <laughs> in the field of economics. Yeah, so, so you know, you see linear regression, confidence intervals, you know, Markov chain, all these kind of different things, you know, I studied mathematics, yeah? At the beginning, I wasn't kind of thinking about, well, you can apply linear regression only with medical data. No, I was looking into all kinds of different things, yeah? And of course, the fundamental mathematics is the same, yeah? No, 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 I, I fully agree. I think you also brought up a very good point. I mean, when you just said, I mean, you, you would need to be able to speak in front of let's say HTA or payer institutions. I mean, you have just mentioned an example with the uh, GBA in, Ge in, in Germany, in Berlin, but also I think around the NICE in, in yep. Europe, right? I think that that's always the same. And I mean, um, we have just experienced a couple of years ago where we have worked um, on, a, on, a, on a crossover trial. And I think we spent probably 20 to 30 minutes just discussing within the GBA hearing just around that kind of method, right? And if the method which has been applied was the correct one, and if we have delivered the right ones, right? So th that's, that's I think, really, really important. I think, and it's probably also beyond what people probably at least think to understand, which is the significance level, right? That's yeah. maybe just one component, but you should as well understand that the, the significance is one, but also how and what do you measure, right? Yeah, yeah. This, you know, see, it also goes into the area, for example, of psychometrics. So especially if you have endpoints like quality of life, uh, patient satisfaction, all these kind of different things, you always think about, okay, do I really measure what I want to measure? Mm -hmm. And how robust is this measure? Yeah. Is it very sensitive over time? If I ask you in the morning and in the evening, do I get similar results? If I should get similar results, yeah. So all these kind of different things. Is the tool itself robust? Yes, is the questionnaire itself robust? And that's very often also part of the of the discussion. Yeah. So so have you measured using the right tools? Yeah. No, I I can only agree. Um, I mean, if we let's say think a bit further, and if if I would think of, let's say, you being maybe the leader of a of a new built team in a small company, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that small company is especially, um, um, let's say, consisting of more kind of developers, clinical trials, maybe experts, et cetera, but not so much, let's say, around statistics and HTA. What would be the kind of statistical measures? I mean, German is more statistische Maßzahlen, um, where you would say this is at least what you should understand. I mean, thinking more about, is it the hazard ratio or anything further? What, what do you think about uh, around your experience, right? So, so I think it that depends a little bit on the therapeutic area you're working in. Let's say you work in oncology. Lots of the things that you're looking into are time to event, time to progression, mortality, survival, these kind of things. Then of course, Understanding hazard ratios, understanding these is really important. Confidence intervals, understanding what a confidence interval and, and what a p-value is. You know, you don't need to maybe explain it in the super correct way. 
set I would say you know the statistician needs <laughs> needs to be able to do <laughs> but at least understand kind of what are the strengths what are the limitations how do I interpret it mm -hmm. so this is important and then the other things is more kind of the um yeah means odds ratios what's the standard deviation yeah if you understand these things it's, it's really important there's one other thing and maybe it's not you know a statistical measure but a concept that i think is nowadays really important and that is uh, what's described in the addendum to the ICH E9 guideline is the estimant. The estimant is describes what we want to estimate. And estimate is basically kind of, okay, how big is the treatment effect, for example, in a specific population using, let's say, an odds ratio or whatsoever, and also understanding, okay, what about the so-called intercurrent events? Often you have these kind of things that happen after randomization that limit your ability to collect what you actually want to collect. So let's say you have a depression study yeah, that is 12 weeks long, and you have 10% of your patients dropping out during these 12 weeks. What do you do with these yeah. 10%? Um, now you can think about, you know, what is really that you want to measure? Mm -hmm. Do you want to measure the treatment effect in all those that stayed on treatment? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to measure the treatment effect in all those that started treatment, assuming that those that drop out go on placebo and not treated anymore? Or do you think like, well, I want to measure kind of the treatment effect at the last time that, you know, the medication was taken, mm -hmm. which would be called, you know, the last observation carried forward kind of thing. Yeah. So that is the, the important thing. What what do you really want to measure? Mm. What do you really want to estimate? And that is the estimant. Yeah? It's, a, it's a concept that emerged over the last couple of years because people were struggling with this kind of, what do you do with this missing data? And then people realized, actually, that's not a missing data problem. That's only where we kind of stepped over it. The real problem is that we never thought about what we really precisely want to measure. We just said, we want to measure the treatment effect. But really, what is the treatment effect? Yeah. So, so the same thing is, for example, in oncology. If you have some patients discontinuing be because of toxicity, what do you want to understand? Do you want to understand kind of, and then they go on to some kind of other treatment. So do you want to understand if I start with this treatment and in case of toxicity, I switch to that treatment, what will be, so, so this, you have that kind of comparison of treatment policies uh, or treatment regimens, what will then be the outcome? Or do you want to understand kind of, 
under the assumptions that you don't develop the toxicity, what will then be the outcome? You know, understanding these nuances is, is really important because then you can have a good discussion with your statistician. You can have a good discussion with the HDA body with, you know, and also, but also with, you know, treating physicians or patients. What do they really want to know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, it's right it really, really well, uh, I, I think. Um, and I mean, it also shows, let's say, the kind of discussion you normally as well then have once you have the data, right? It starts with the regulatory agencies when you think about or discuss about the risk benefit um, a ratio or, or, or let's say profile of the product, right, or the treatment. Yeah. But it, it continues, right? I mean, it's exactly those discussions that you have as well in front of the HTA bodies, right? I mean, so why have you had so many dropouts? What was the reason behind? Are those toxicities really that severe? And it's based yeah. then that severity of the maybe safety profile, um, let's say killing a bit that treatment effect. What yeah. do you really want? But it continues down to the physician, right? Even if it would be reimbursed or if it is reimbursed, it's then still the question to which patients should I give that product because of the toxicity and all the expected treatment benefits. I fully agree with that. There's another aspect that comes in there. That is the benefit-risk mm-hmm. discussion. And in this benefit-risk discussion, another key component can be patient preferences. Mm-hmm. Imagine you have two different pain treatments. And one has as a side effect insomnia, and the, the other has as a side effect um, some gastrointestinal thing. What is actually worse? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so would you rather have a 10% probability to be vomiting, or would you rather have a 12% probability or 20% probability to have sleep problems? I don't know. Yeah. So, so basically, the only answers you can have is ask the patients. And uh, that's where patient preferences, uh, discrete choice elements, and all these other things come into play. And so that's yet another statistical thing. Well, of course, kind of health economics experts also know a lot about these things. But, but in the end, it's again, yeah, it's a statistical experiment. And as a good statistician, as an HDA statistician, you should understand these things as well and be able to bring it into, into, the, into the problem. Yeah. By the way, you can't do these experiments only when you have you know, just done the analysis and you want to submit in, in three weeks. Yeah, to the HDA body. Maybe a little bit too late. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. And it basically brings up my next kind of question, right? I mean, we're speaking a lot about, let's say, statistics and well, probably more or uh, market access HDA, right? But at the end of the day, I mean, all of the different, let's say, um, areas, including medical, uh, including marketing, etc., they need all to work working basically together, right? But if we can maybe focus a bit, just let's say, just the quote, right? on the statistical and the HTA slash market access bit a bit. Um, how, how would you recommend, how should those, let's say, functions really work together? I mean, how close, in which ways? What is your experience on that? So my experience is um, the best way is that you have a really good regulatory skilled statistician working with the development team. And you have another uh, statistician that is well worth in all the HDA commercialization efforts, medical affairs 
that works with the medical affairs and CHJA people for a couple of reasons. The first is if you work on regulatory and something else as a statistician, so something else always falls over. The second thing is, and, and you know, all these things happen in parallel. You will never have time to focus on both. The second thing is you need a very, very different skill set. And maybe I would say even mindset to mm. approach these things. So regulatory thinking is very different to the HTA thinking. Regulatory bodies think very much in, okay, I, the FDA, or I, the EMA, discuss directly with the sponsor about what exactly the clinical trial looks like, what are my primary analysis, and we agree on everything. And then we conduct it. That's not what happens with payers. Of course, there is discussions between payers and the sponsors in terms of how should the clinical development look like, or at least I highly recommend people do that. But the, you can't have these in-depth discussions because there's far too many payers. You know, it's already a struggle to kind of have FDA and EMA on the same line, you know, let alone the Japanese agency. But having all different payers on the same line, that's nearly impossible. And of course, the payers are also much more kind of uh, relaxed a little bit. So they will say, oh, I don't care what you have pre-specified. For me, these things are important. Let's have a look at these. Uh, oh, yeah, you have these kind of subgroups. But, you know, the what for me is really important are these populations because that's where we'll reimburse you or potentially reimburse you. Oh, yeah, you have the studies that is, you know, for the US and Europe, and it goes for, you know, all patients. But really in Europe, we'll not take naive patients for this immensely expensive product. We'll only take ones that, you know, failed on a cheaper generic version. So you need to have these discussions. And that also means a very, very different statistical mindset because it's not all about multiplicity adjustment and pre-specification and, you know, primary analysis and what have you. The guidelines are very, very different. And so that requires a different thinking, a different knowledge. And, you know, I've not come across a statistician yet that is really good on both ends. So that's why I think it makes a lot of sense to have two, two statisticians there. One responsible for the regulatory side, one for the HTA side. But of course, they need to work closely together. Yeah, if they work against each other or not communicate, then yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I agree. And I, I also experienced, I mean, exactly that kind of split when I was in the industry as well. I think the, the important thing is exactly, I think, what you just brought up. I mean, payers are, I would say all payers are a bit more relaxed. I was just thinking more, uh, uh, you know, if you're in Germany, they're not that relaxed. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you really think a bit further, not just around, let's say, um, what happened before and after randomization and which measures to use, et cetera. But if you think especially, I mean, as you as well said it, the multiple or controlling for multiple testing, they also don't care at the end of the day. No. Even about AQUIC. I mean, if no. you just have a look, you know, I need the p-values for all adverse events. Oh, that's a statistical significance. Come on. Nobody was planning for that. Nobody was controlling for 
multiple, multiple testing or whatever kind of stuff. And you're much more the expert on that. But they still take into consideration, right? And that's just one example, right? Think about UK nice when they think about a stopping rule, right? As you as well said, or maybe a kind of stepwise kind of reimbursement. We just reimburse it after, I don't know, as, uh, after a second use of a generic or whatever kind of stuff. That was maybe a subpopulation in the clinical trial, but that's not real big evidence, right? It's rather still the money which drives it. Yeah, and of course, kind of as a as a payer, you have many more kind of features you can kind of speak about. You can speak about different pricing. You can speak about rebates. You can speak much more about reassessments. You can speak about uh, fine tuning for for different populations. All these things play a role. Where it's in, you know, from a regulatory point of view, it's more kind of, okay, it's yes, no decision for a certain population. Let's say a little bit oversimplifying, yeah, but, but that is more or less it, yeah. Whereas um, here you have, you know, in the payout environment, you have much more freedom. If you think about different other countries, well, it's even on a subnational level. Or if you think in the US, you have a completely different approach. So it's it's more of a negotiation. The basis for the negotiation, basically. And that's, I think, what needs to be understood. And that's, I think, also where the complexity for, let's say, the kind of regulatory statisticians come into play, right? Because they yeah. are following the guidelines, the discussion with the FDA email. If you want to do something else, you first ask, you get direct response. You're in direct let's say, communication, right? That's yep. totally different, right? Even if you have consultations with whatever kind of HCA bodies, it's not a communication. It's asking, get a, a kind of advice, but even that is sometimes a bit blurry, right? It's not It's not what you can see in, reg in the regulatory world. Yeah, the, the communication, that is actually a really interesting part of it. Um, that also requires very different skills from a statistician. As you just mentioned, as a statistician in the regulatory world, you have a more or less a one-to-one -one discussion with experts on the other side. You don't have that in the HTA space. You have a discussion first, very often not directly. You'll likely not talk to every HTA buddy around the world as a statistician. There's far too many, yeah? So you need to provide communication in such a way that local HDA people around the world can actually live with it. That, you know, the, the person that works with the Belgian HDA body and the Italian and the French and the Australian and the Brazilian and the Canadian and whoever can confidently speak about the data. So providing the evidence is one thing, explaining it, training people on speaking about it is yet a completely different thing. On the regulatory side, well, whenever there's a statistical question, you know, the, the regulatory person will come to the statistician, okay, let's talk about it, how do we formulate it and write it back? Well, unless you have a, you know, pretty big team of statisticians, uh, that's pretty impossible within a pharma company. Maybe you should invest a little bit more in this. I would strongly recommend. But, but it's I think it's at the moment at least not realistic to think that you know you'll always have a statistician sitting next to the HDA person. The, the other problem there is the language. It happens in Germany, 
It happens in France. It happens in many other countries around the world where the discussions are in local language. Now, have fun finding, uh, you know, statisticians that speak Korean and English and German and French and whatsoever. You need to train people mm. to, you know, explain these things with confidence. And, you know, that is only with the direct HDA people. The next level is then, of course, kind of peer counts and all these other things. If you need to do negotiations on a hospital level, on, you know, insurer level, or in Spain on a um, regional level, you speak with so many people in the organization. And they are not just responsible for your oncology products that you're just bringing on the market. In big companies, they are responsible for the complete portfolio. You need to be able to, you know, get across the key things in a very effective way. I think you summarized it very well. Maybe a bit of another direction, just to, towards the end of our, let's say, episode here. Um, we're, we're speaking really a lot around, you know, what needs to be understood, what is a bit statistics, what to understood as well. When I'm thinking about, let's say, the new ATMPs, uh, I mean, we all know a couple of those CAR T-cell therapies. And for most of those, I think it's really just simply difficult to have RCTs in the mm -hmm. kind of standard um, way to be provided to regulatory and or HCA bodies. What, what is your feeling around that from a statistical perspective? What could be done there? I mean, if it's a, a single arm trial, it doesn't matter which kind, but sample size is so small. How to interpret really that kind of, um, let's say, evidence base? First, I think it's to kind of, as a statistician, appreciate that you can't always have a big head-to-head -head study. And actually, the payers know that as well. And if it's for a rare disease, you have different, you know, discussions. Because it's very different than if you bring a new diabetes drug on the market or something like this, which is kind of mass market and big volume and whatsoever. So the insurers also want to make sure that, you know, there's a good treatment for these patients. Of course, regulators want this as well, but they have... a different i think different mindset i'll say a little bit and from a statistical point of view what is important is to understand what's happening in the real world with these patients can you have um can you look into registries can you look into um uh, claims databases can you maybe even you know look into data that is coming from other clinical trials that other companies have done to understand what is happening naturally with these patients. And then there's some, you know, more recent developments in terms of um, indirect comparisons, Bayesian approaches, with which you can, I would say, get a sense of how big the treatment effect is. And here, we very often focus on the p-value. For me, what is more important here is to estimate what is really the treatment effect. If you can say, with pretty high probability, we have a very high treatment effect here, then I would say that's probably sufficient to show. And if you can say, under all these kind of different assumptions, reasonable assumptions, 
we can confidently say there's a significant improvement for the patients. Mm. Well, significant is maybe the wrong word here, but but a relevant improvement, a big improvement for the patients. Then I think you have a good basis for negotiations. And that's where statistics can help you to look into these different assumptions and see if you change the assumptions, how big will the change be? Will it flip around? Will it go away? You know, how different do the patients in this one um, trial need to be to what we have in the registry to explain that big difference? And is that realistic? Of course, that also actually takes quite some time. You usually don't get access to a register within three weeks. So plan for that early. Don't start with the study without having your complete evidence plan in place. There's a lot about discussions within pharma companies about strategic evidence plans. This is where you need to have a statistician on board. Otherwise, you'll not even think about all the different resources. And that's another point of having a more real-world evidence HDA type of statistician that has experience with these kind of data and not just worked on clinical trials for 20 years. That's so true. No, absolutely. Alex, um, a lot of insights. Thanks a lot. I mean, we have kind of probably a quite broad range of different, let's say, topics. And I think we could probably still discuss for ages. <laughs> I would be happy to even, let's say, uh, continue the discussion. But uh, for now, thanks a lot for your time, for the insights, and talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Great insights from Alexander Schacht, especially also from the statistical perspective on that area in market access. I mean, even if you maybe have still some difficulties to understand what an estimate um, really is, I think the important um, key takeaways as well are probably quite clear from my perspective. I think firstly, statisticians and market access managers need to really work very closely together and not just when it comes to the development of the reimbursement dossier and or the health economic model, but especially also in the early days, meaning when the clinical trial is being planned for. So it's not so much only to understand what a payer, for example, wants to see, wants to have in the um, in the submission. And even here, we have the difficulties that we do not only have one payer. I mean, we have a, a lot of different payer, payer types across the world, even across Europe, and even within a country, when you just think about countries where you have different reimbursement institutions on a national, regional, and even a local level. Um, having said that, it's very important to understand quite clearly what is needed and how this could then be implemented in a clinical trial planning. And that is why and where the statistical understanding is very crucial. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.